It's a combination of being in New York or like a tier one city. You can meet someone, you know, that can change your life in an elevator. But it really takes quite a few qualities of a person for them to want to carry out that conversation after their floor has arrived. And I think the qualities like just being a good human, actually caring about the person in front of you and not just calling them, that's my 9am. Like I always knew the longevity to this game is you have to have genuine care for the person you're working for and working with and take an interest in the things in their life. You know, remember the little things that they might say. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is personal trainer and wellness advisor, Eric Rakowski. Eric is a partner and trainer at the prestigious collective gym in Austin, Texas, and also an advisor to companies such as Super Coffee, Ladder, and others. Some of Eric's influential clients include Strauss Selnick, who's CEO and chairman of the board of the billion-dollar company behind Grand Theft Auto. He's also worked with Miller Drexler, chairman and CEO of J. Crew, Victor Cruz, model Nina Agdal, Shay Mitchell, and so many others. Today on the show, we discuss how Eric escaped his ultra-traumatic childhood and built a very successful personal training business, the invaluable lessons he's learned from training some of the most influential people in the world, how Eric faced and dealt with his recent thyroid cancer diagnosis, why being kinder to yourself will help you lose body fat, Eric's tips for busy people to optimize their health, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Eric Rakowski to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Eric, welcome to the podcast. What's up, Doug? Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have you on, man. You're super. I'm, I'm super inspired by what you've accomplished personally and professionally. And as a fellow fitness professional, I just have such admiration for for what you do. Um, first question: I know you train some of the most successful and influential people in the world. Um, what would you say you see are some of the common themes about some of the things? that they do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, like how they carry themselves from a non-professional standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm very fortunate to kind of have a front row, you know, seat to, to the, to their, to this show. Right. And we're talking about billionaires, um, athletes, current and former, and, or you're, you're just, you're, you're full-time working single mom, um, that retired from, you know, whatever company she exited it from. It's just like really cool people. And the reality is I wish I could tell you like they do the same thing. Like I journal, I cold plunge, I do this. They all complain when they're pushing a sled that's twice their size. You know, they all get tired too. Um, they have a lot of these similar things that I have, you have, you know. But the one common denominator is they all show up. And they, they don't quit, right? So it's one foot in front of the other. And I can talk a little bit more about like certain other attributes. But the main thing is we are very much similar. And what separates them aside from their ability to be 
the very best at what they've done in their craft, they just don't give up. They, they just keep showing up. And, and that's how you compound all that success over time. Yeah. And not giving up, not showing up. And I would imagine just given the way that you, that you know, these people, they prioritize, um, their health and wellness. Like what have they like said to you when they come to you and they, they're talking about making their health a priority? Like, why is it such a priority for them? Sure. Yeah. A lot of things, um, resonate with that. And, and the more, the more and more I talk to them or, or get connected referrals or they reach out, um, or I just meet them at a function of some sorts. It's like, you see these people, they walk into a room and a lot of them admire them. They're very successful. They've they've done beautiful and and great things. Um, except there's a big sacrifice of health and mental health, um, along that journey. Um, so I often will get them in that vulnerable state of like, Hey, I am 15% body fat, uh, over my, over what I should be. I should be 15. I'm 30% body fat. Um, I'm struggling to lift up my kid. You know, I, I can't um, take a, a long flight anymore because of this. I, you know, so there's, I'm getting them in a vulnerable state. And the, the, the more and more I see and speak to them, it's like they just sacrifice so much of their physical and mental health to achieve that kind of wealth or success. What are some of the things you help them with initially as far as like, getting that pendulum going the other way to where they're so hyper-focused on, you know, business, family, um, you know, running a company, like networking, all these things that they were doing before where their mental health and physical health like became something that was put on the, like the lower end of the priorities list. And I can imagine that it's not like they just went all in on fitness. So what are some of the, the things that you typically help them get started with initially to help get the ball rolling? Yeah, sure. You know, generally you have that conversation, that clear understanding of like, hey, you are not the only one here. Often, you know, we are all captains of our own ships and we are exploring things moving super fast. And we can often think like, I'm alone in this. This is consuming me. Um, But I remind them that you're not alone, you know, and this is something that you haven't given attention to. It doesn't mean you can't achieve it or have success in it. It's just like anything else. Um, you need to start that ripple effect. And once we have that conversation, then we get into like a movement screen, um, habits, routines, and then I can begin to program accordingly for that specific person. Mm. We're going to put a pin in this and come back. So I'd love to know like what you help them do as far as like, um, like once they get into a routine, how do you help them organize their schedules to make sure that they stay consistent and fitness remains a priority? But you mentioned that a common theme of these people is that they never give up and they just keep going no matter what life throws at them. And I know that's been a major theme in your own life. And you grew up in humble beginnings. You grew up, you were raised on welfare, single parent, your dad overdosed when you were a kid, just you and your brother and your mom. Talk about how you grew up. Talk about um, what it was like, you know, to lose your your father at a young age, how that impacted you, and then where life took you from there. Sure. You know, you look back now and you can kind of like start cueing the violins and stuff. But when you're when you're in it and you're a kid, you know, I grew up in in South Brooklyn and it was kind of like the sandlot, except it wasn't a big park, it was just big concrete buildings and main roads we shouldn't have been playing on. But I had fun. My brother and I had fun. Um, it was just 
it took us a little bit of growing up pretty quickly to realize like, well, my friends have a working oven. My friends have a more stable functioning home. Um, so, but as a child growing up, you know, we played, we had fun. Our dad passed around when I was um, 11. My brother was 12. That was like hardship. And then we got evicted like a bunch after that. But still, like, you know, you're fairly young and you it's life's moving so fast and your heart it's hard to it's hard, especially at that age. It's hard to like sit there and dwell. You know, you kind of have to like, OK, here's where I'm at right now. Here's what's going on with my mom. And, you know, uh, me being in that, you know, kind of passenger seat as a child, 16, 15 or even younger, I kind of intuitively started to realize like, OK, this is the narrative that I'm in, but it's temporary. Something in my gut and my psyche told me this is temporary and I'm going to change this narrative of like check to check welfare. Um, because I, even with all that, like I would walk into a room smiling, confident, having fun um, because like I'm not a victim, you know, and I'm never going to play that role um, just because it didn't feel natural to me. So when you were that age and like that, all that stuff was, was going on i mean what do you think helped you helped create this this mindset of not being a victim and just just kind of keep to continuing to move forward in life despite the multiple adversities that you went through yeah i think my mom was mostly around and i saw that that was the role she was playing in her own life and you immediately look at you know the people dear to you and try to resemble or emulate like their life. And then that just wasn't what I wanted. I didn't want like sadness. I didn't want um, that fear of like, well, what's gonna happen next? Um, so I think with that I was, and then obviously like my dad passed from drugs as you mentioned. So all my life, I might've smoked some weed here and there and experimented with some funny, funny looking chocolates, but like I've never done anything else in my life. and. I don't judge those who do. It's just like there was definitely patterns from seeing my mother, how she lived my, her life and how what happened with my father that have sculpted me, you know, to this day. And I just turned 30. So uh, I would say that's probably why. And then as far as um, like what kept you out of trouble, because I, I know that a lot of times what can happen is when people go through stuff like that, they'll end up turning to the drugs at a young age. They'll end up surrounding themselves with the wrong types of people. They'll end up in these, these habits that then, that then create other adversities from the original adversity that they um, went through. And then that creates even more problems in their life. You know, other than playing around in the neighborhood with your, um, with your brother and your friends and having some fun, what, like, what else do you think like kept you out of trouble as you began to get into, you know, middle school, high school, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, middle school was tough because, like, our attendance was awful. You know, we had um, AC, I forget exactly the term, but um, we had, like, people from the school in the state come because, like, our attendance was so low. And, and I feel terrible for that growing up, it's just that we had no structure or stability, right? Like, my mom... She's a saint. I love her to death, but she lived in this like bubble and, and we, and she didn't work either. So it's very hard for us as a child to, to really take that serious tone, take the, take her tone serious if she wasn't 
in fact implementing those things that she was saying we needed to do right that's something that you know me being a father now like i i can't wait for my son bring my son to the gym now i show him that i get up early too and even though he's only two and a half as he gets older he'll see that um so i think as high school years started to come i was boxing a lot and then i started to like really fall in love with that sporting craft and then I started to watch, you know, your Mayweathers of the world and your Oscar De La Hoyas and your Tysons. And I started, yeah, like, I grew up with a lot of interesting individuals in Brooklyn, right? So, like, that road to fame and money was exciting and intriguing. So, I just was like, boxing is going to be that um, vehicle I take to do that. So, with that, intuitively, I knew, okay, maybe, you know, the, the school books aren't it for me, but street smarts and navigating like a clean, healthy life will get me there. Um, so that was probably it for me. So it seems like boxing was like the main thing that really kind of helped keep you out of trouble and gave you something to turn a lot of this negative pain into something more positive. Um, what do you think it is specifically about the sport of boxing? Like about like the fundamentals of it, about like the skill set requ- the skill set required to do it, the dedication. Like, what is it about it specifically that you think was so like transformational for you? Growing up and my upbringing, and just like all of us, until we reach a certain age, like we're not in control of that narrative to a certain extent, and we are kind of like here are the cards we've been dealt, and we have to play them out until we can then shuff- reshuffle the deck, you know, ourselves. So I think me being in there in that ring with someone else and only someone else was the first time I was able to like slowly control the narrative, you know, like, okay, if I do really well, that will ripple into something else, hopefully more positive. And I'll just keep that going. When you were boxing and and obviously boxing is, I guess it's more of a, I guess people would say a violent sport, um, right? Would you ever like think about some of the stuff that like pissed you off, whether it be your dad? passing away in your stuff no i think i was like too terrified of getting punched in the face so like while i was in there it was more just like trying to stay present stay calm and i was confident in my ability and um my dedication to the sport with training that like i knew that um i knew how to challenge channel those emotions and be calm because if you you know, some of these greats talk about it, like the tough guy in the sport will get hurt, you know? Um, so you have to kind of play chess in there a little bit. And you boxed for, for quite some time. Like what did that like journey look like for you? I mean, I know you actually kind of competed at it. So where did that all go? Yeah, for sure. So I'm probably like 12, 13 years old and I had buddies in the neighborhood a little bit older than me. They participated in like you know, drugs and things like that, but they also boxed and they let me kind of hang with them and I started boxing with them. So it was like your something you might hear your crazy uncle say, like, oh yeah, we used to box in the backyard, no mouthpiece and you know, no headgear. Like it was like that for a while until I went to Gleason's boxing gym in Brooklyn, which is a very historic gym in the East Coast. And I remember I went with this girl I was seeing at the time. I looked like money spoke like I had it, but I had no money. So like when I went in the gym, they kind of like their eyes lit up a little bit like, oh, this guy light skin, you know, can talk smooth and he looks like he can feed. They, they would they would say he fights like a colored fighter, but looks like, you know, 
um, like an Oscar de la Hoya, like a golden boy. And uh, then they realized very quickly, no, 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 I have no money and I want a box, but I need your help to do so. So I was sponsored um, and I've had some like neighborhood help from some of those older guys. Um, and that kept me like out of trouble, not that I was looking for trouble. Um, and then I did the amateurs for a little while. I fought in the Golden Gloves. I've won some fights. I've lost a few on decision, was never hurt, thankfully. And I pursued it for quite some time, like that was going to be my thing. But as I mentioned earlier with my upbringing, you don't get paid in boxing for a long, long time, unless like you grow up in that circle or you just like found a ticket and your your skills shine so bright that like it was only it was a matter of time before someone came along. Um, for me, it was like, you know, I had my friends in the neighborhood, but no one was going to pay my bills, my mother's bills, you know, so I had to work. And then priorities started to shift. And when your priorities shift too far and you're not dedicated to a sport like boxing, you're going to get hurt. And thankfully, that never happened to me, but I saw it happen to a lot of friends that I see in the sport that are working nine to fives, you know, and then putting their kid down to bed and then coming to the gym and then they get knocked out because they're not focused on it, you know? So that was, that's kind of like my history with it. Yeah. And then how did you then transition from the sport of boxing to wanting to like get in the fitness world? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Um, so I was training uh, with this group after I left Gleason's, the notorious boxing club in Brooklyn. Great guys. Um, but street guys too, you know, so I'll never forget, like we just came from training and my buddy had to make a stop in the city, right. To distribute like some, some goods, if you will. And as we were on the way, we saw this boxing gym, like a boutique boxing gym. And obviously we're intrigued because we both fight. So I stopped. I was like, Hey, let me, let's go check it out. And he was like, I got to go. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to stick around. I'll meet you back in Brooklyn. And we're in the West village. And that was it. And then I stopped really hanging out with them as much as I love them. And I was just like, I want to be, I want to be around this. And they hired me day one. And that was really where um, the training started. And then it went from me only being a boxing pad coach to evolving away from that. So when you started to, you know, work in the fitness space as like a boxing, like, specialist were you also at the same time like working out like in the gym on your own or was your primarily mode of fitness boxing yeah my whole like identity first the first few years of me training people was boxing so like i would you know i would do like your pull up push up dips rope climbing running but it was mainly boxing um and it was only a few years after i had made that decision okay like i'm finally building I'm finally earning a living from training that I need to like put all my focus onto this, not 60% here, 40% boxing. So I went a hundred, put a hundred and my focus into my, the craft of training. Then I started making more money, connecting more with people, learning the hospitality of the game. Cause I, you know, in the West village in New York, like these people have money, they have busy careers, busy lives. So navigating that, you know, my, uh, early EQ lessons from the streets kind of like helped, you know, and my humble beginnings helped with that. Um, and then I started focusing more on longevity, you know, range of motion, strength training and things like that. 
how did you um, like end up, like what was the path like for you from, again, being that boxing pads coach to working on some of these other areas of fitness to then like meeting and, and training like some of the most influential people in, in New York? Like how, how did that, what did that, what did that process look like? I think with more experience, I was able to like um, be mentored by a guy named like Romeo Goose, who, you know, he's a nurse practitioner now, but also just like, you know, back then, any kind of certification you could have gotten from rock taping to strength training to battle roping, whatever, he did it all. So I learned a ton from him. And then uh, Dr. Keith Pine, who's like a sports medicine doctor for Kawhi Leonard, he was with um, the Nationals, um, and then some great guys at Cairo. Um, and I learned a ton about just movement and mechanics and proper range of motion, proper strength at the end of the ranges, you know. And then as my experience started to kick in um, with them, my confidence came about more. So, like, then if someone came in to train, I started to realize – you're here to listen to me. I don't have to assume that you just want to box, you know? And I started really navigating what was necessary for their needs and their wants. And I also was then able to communicate with them, hey, just because you like boxing doesn't mean it's what you need right now because your posture is shit, your hips don't work. Boxing, it might make you get a little tired, break a sweat, and you might let off some steam, but it's actually not conducive to your where your current state you know your alignment at this, at this time and so like some of these whether it be celebrities personalities athletes entrepreneurs hedge fund people that you would you know connect with and end up training in in new york and what you're doing now were these people that were just into coming to box or were these people that you just met as a result of training certain people you know early on in your career in the first so early on, they were only coming to box because I was at that gym that was boxing based in, in the West Village. Then I went off to the independent training thing, um, probably in 2015, 16, if I can remember. And then some of that influx was still boxing related, but then it became more like, hey, I heard you're great. I'm in the area these days, would love to train with you. And then it was just like, okay, blank canvas. I'll decide how I want to paint this thing, you know? Um, so that's kind of the flow of it. Right. Um, and then like what helped you, um, what do you think helped you like as far as like your ability to connect with these people and like be successful in that space, given that you said like you grew up in humble beginnings, like there, there were times I'm sure it seemed like you weren't going to graduate school. You were, had the, all kinds of stuff happen as a kid. Um, like, what do you think really helped you, um, like build what you built back then? Yeah, I think it's a combination of like, you know, I used to tell, tell people like, you know, being in New York or like a tier one city, you can meet someone, uh, you know, that can change your life in an elevator. Right. But it really takes quite a few qualities of a person for them to want to carry out that conversation after their floor has arrived, you know? And I think the qualities like just being a good human, um, actually caring about the person in front of you and not just calling them, that's my 9am, you know? Like I always knew 
um, the longevity to this game is you have to have a general, you have to have genuine care for the person you're working for and working with and um, take an interest to things in their life. You know, remember the little things that they might say. You know, I, some of these guys, hedge funds, you know, um, art enthusiasts, I didn't know shit about anything except, you know, like boxing, you know, maybe a few things with girls and like, you know, just how to be a good person and have a nice time. Um, but I would learn, I would do diligence on the market. I would do diligence on certain exhibits that are coming just cause like I was tired of like the nodding in these circles while they're warming up and talking and I didn't have any value to add. So me taking that time, I think, I think honestly, them just seeing that like, okay, this guy delivers a great service. I come here, he shows up on time. He's good to the guests I bring. Um, so the value is added. And I can actually see that he's trying to do something with his life. Um, so I think there's a few elements there that if you, you know, put them all together, they add up to like why it was successful and why I was able to get, I probably worked with over a thousand different humans, you know, not, and I'm not, not group class, like one-on-one. -on -one. So like I've connected with a ton of people in New York that till this day, there's some branch from this person that there's a connection to, you know? Who's been like, who's been like one client that comes to mind um, that has had like a influential impact on you, like as a human, as a man, as a father, as the way you carry yourself? Um, I think always there's, there's a few, right? There's like, there's so many people that were like instrumental to like my success um, that are people that maybe no one's heard of and people that have heard of. Um, one comes to mind is this guy, Strauss Selnick. He owns um, Take-Two Interactive, so like Rockstar, Grand Theft Auto, video games, uh, 2K Sports. Um, and he's done some tremendous things from producing the movie Dirty Dancing and stuff like that. Um, I believe that's a fact, I believe. Um, and he's like just someone that early on kind of saw me in those trenches of like, building my business, book of business, you know, doing my best, staying fit, meeting great people. And he, I remember one time he was just like, what are your, some of your values and your goals? And he taught me how to just kind of really define those things and use that as a way to decipher through decision-making, you know, and I'm probably 23, 24 having this conversation with this guy that's worth billions that's taken his time after a workout to, you know, to talk, to talk to me. Um, and then there's been so many, so many more um, that have been helpful and thoughtful along the way. Has there been um, anybody that you've seen, like just that it's been consistent throughout your career um, that's like served as like a parental like figure for you, so like a mentor, like that's been somebody you could like lean on, whether it be how to raise, like your help raise your son, whether it be like just business decisions, has there be, been anybody like that given the fact that, you know, you, you didn't really have any stability with that growing up? Confidence, maintaining a clean diet, staying active, and exercising discipline are key indicators of a healthy individual. The practice of discipline extends to various aspects of life, including sleep patterns, dietary choices, and overall body care. Embracing discipline not only yields short-term benefits, but also lays a strong foundation for long-term health. It is important to recognize that skin health 
is an integral part of this holistic approach and should not be disregarded. Fortunately, incorporating skincare into your daily routine can be effortless, and that's where Caldera Lab comes in. With their products clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging, Caldera Lab proudly stands as a leader in men's skincare. I'm a big fan of taking care of my skin and didn't realize I was only scratching the skincare surface by using store-bought products and getting a facial every few months. I'm a 35-year-old bachelor and spend a lot of time on camera, and I decided that I need to do an even better job at maintaining my healthy skin. After seeing many of my friends use Caldera Lab, I decided to try their top-notch products. Their formulas combine pharmaceutical-grade science with nature's purest and most potent ingredients and are simple to use. I've been using their regimen bundle twice a day and have already had several compliments about the difference in my skin. Caldera Lab's regimen routine begins with their clean slate, which is a balancing cleanser to get things started. Then I add their base layer, a nutrient-dense fortifying moisturizer to help hydrate my skin. Then I finish off with the good, which is their clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps my skin look and feel tighter and smoother. So if you want to upgrade your skin and confidence with products that use exceptional ingredients, head to calderalab.com and use my code DOUG to get 20% off. Again, head to calderalab.com and use my code DOUG to get 20% off. Be ready to experience a whole new level of health and skincare with Caldera Lab. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, look, thankfully, thankfully, um, and you know, you hear people say like, someone from a thousand feet up can be like, oh, he's self-made, he did this. But like, I could, I could name probably 10 people that I can genuinely call and have a conversation with that have been helpful, you know, pre my pre-surgery and my diagnosis to, to now that have been super helpful and thoughtful. And some of them, by the way, Doug, like I haven't even known that long. Like I, I, all my life is for the last, aside from the last two years have been in East coast, Brooklyn and New York. And there are people that I've spent a decade with and I don't talk to them that much at all. Not that we don't have love, but like they haven't really been around and I get that um, because they have their lives, but people that I've been here with in Austin, only the last 12 to 24 months. And I can call these people like someone I can really count on. Hopefully they can really count on me. So there's definitely been more than one and I'm fortunate for that. Let's talk about your, your diagnosis. So I know you just kind of um, touched on that. I know that's, this has been something that as of recent has been hard for you. Um, at the same time, I know there's, there's been some blessings that have come from it. Like some of the ones that you just mentioned, as far as finding out like who some your more true friends are, um, talk about like from, I guess, from the genesis of your diagnosis, what was going through your mind? Um, you know, what, what your mindset was like, what your mental health was like, and then what's this, what's the process been like since then? Yeah. So about 2019, I noticed I had this pronounced lymph node here on the right side. And, you know, I kind of was like, mm, it's a little abnormal. I went to an ENT and they were just like, just your lymph node probably overworking. Do you feel sick? And I was like, not really. I feel fine. I might get sick, you know, occasionally, right? Just normal stuff. And by the way, like, I'm super big. I'm really into optimization from a, across the board. So I do blood work quarterly. I test for certain metrics, strength-wise, anaerobic, aerobically, you know, and, and I'm improving across the board, you know, um, since before that bump, you know, 
And then February comes. My son's birthday is February 17th. My birthday is February 28th. He's turning two. I'm turn, I just I turned 30. And I noticed, so you can see here, right? And then you can kind of see all the way here, right? I noticed a bump up here. And that's when I was like, fuck, that's not a lymph node. And then I went to some specialists here, did an ultrasound. Everything was completely different left to right. So from the left side of my thyroid and on, normal, perfect. The right side, all different. And by the way, my blood work showed my thyroid was optimal, even with this. Um, so then I did a biopsy on the bump, on the, on the mass. And then they were like, they called me, you know, it's one of those moments you never forget, but it's also a blur, right? Because I'm out and about playing pickleball or something like that with friends. And then, you know, you get scared, especially like my thoughts go to my son, right? And, you know, obviously like my father unfortunately passed. So it's very important to me to stay active in his life, you know, and fight that fight and be there for him. So then it's very interesting. You get diagnosed and that is where they just basically kind of stage it. And then there's a process. Um, I had then had my birthday in Miami that following week where I didn't tell anyone, my, my friends, my buddy Marty, who's like my best friend, uh, Mario Carbone, I mentioned to you, a good friend of mine. And we're at dinner and people are doing like the cheers and the toasts. And all of a sudden, all those words mean something even more now, you know? Then I come home March 1st, back to Austin, and then we did all the scans. So from like the 14th to the 1st, I didn't know where this cancer was or how severe. I just knew I had it, um, what, they, what they said, thyroid cancer. So then on the 1st, I got cleared that there was nothing anywhere else it was all isolated to this region here on uh, the right side of my thyroid and up um which was fucked which was phenomenal news right like i was super calm i was happy then i spoke to my mom you hear your mother's voice you cry like a baby right so i cried my eyes out and i just that was my finally like there was a path um and then you start to realize this insurance game we have here is we're fortunate in many ways. And then we're not like, um, we have great coverage here locally, but to do something, what I had to do, I had to pull into that, that network that I'm blessed to have go and, and go under their policy with their company and all this other stuff. And then I got approved that Sloan Kettering, which is, you know, MD Anderson Salona, like the best hospitals in the country for this stuff. Uh, my ex from a long time ago, her father used to be on the board of the hospital. So all these little moments and chapters in my life started to really come in. And I got approved. I saw the chief of the head and neck surgery. They got me in surgery three months later, which could have taken six months to a year. And uh, it was full success, about a nine-hour surgery. And they removed my thyroid, about 80 lymph nodes. And uh, yeah. So, and that was 60 days ago yesterday. Wow. And so what, man, first, like, can, I mean, just thank gosh you're okay and that you're alive and that everything's better with that. I still have like the follow-up treatment. I got to do this iodine thing. 
and um but everything should be smooth from here on out like i just got my labs back um we did it here at collective and all my levels came back very optimal um so that's going to be a thing for the next few years like some tests some adjusting on the dose that i have to take every day for this pill for for my thyroid you know that i don't have anymore and so you you mentioned th these these blessings that came from the business that you're in and being a health professional and training some pretty influential people who know people and then also people that you've stayed connected with or one degree of separation from in your personal life. And then you've also, you also mentioned that, that now it, it gave you some, some perspective and almost like fear at the beginning of like, I don't want the same thing to happen to, to my son that, that happened to me where he loses his dad at a young age coming out, I guess, somewhat on the other side of all this now, how has your perspective on like life in itself like shifted or, or, or has it, or has it not? I was always someone that can stay relatively calm under fire, you know, and use these, like, I started doing these, this I call like triple P's. Um, when my son was born, it's like uh prayer, uh, preparation, perseverance, you know, and I've always been pretty good with that part of me. I've always been pretty good with like all three of those things. Right. I'm not a super religious person, but like I will, I'm a very, I have a man of faith and I, I believe that like what is going on today isn't necessarily um, permanent um, as long as my actions and my choices are, you know, get better and better and improve over time. And then the ability to prepare, right? So, you know, failure to prep, plan, blah, 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 whatever the quotes are, right? Um, so, I think given my current situation, it has allowed me to, you know, to, to see even more of the importance of those things and that, you know, I'm not, I, I might, I might look, look superhuman sometimes if like my training and die at some point, but anything can happen. I never thought I would uh, be one of those people and you have moments, um, or at least I did when you get from, from diagnosis to going in for um, all these appointments, there's like, you're, it's natural to have like that why me victim moment because you're scared and you're just like, fuck, why me? But then when you go into the hospital and you start to, uh, these kinds of hospitals and you see the kids and you see the families, that goes out the door right away. And you, it then becomes like, oh, thank God me. Like, I'm very lucky that it wasn't this, this, and this. Um, so... Yeah, I wish I could say um, it was just like one thing, but it's a combination of stuff. You, you know, we talked about like surviving this, which I'm sure was traumatic, right? And then you look at a lot of what occurred in your childhood. Have you like seen any collateral damage occur where your childhood's like impacted your um, you in like relationships or with friendships or certain things as an adult, or have you kind of just been able to shed a lot of that given what you've been able to achieve and overcome? Yeah, I've been able to shed a tremendous amount of it. Although there are moments that have caught up with me in my like, call it Eric 2.0 years, you know, of like not being taught proper, um, just the proper mechanics of like finances and life and, and how to, um, how to manage money properly. You know, I, there are, there are times with what I do, you know, I can get someone, I can get a few, few things can go my way and boom, I can get 150 grand one month. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, 
um, I need to navigate that and, you know, not start buying and helping my family and doing all this stuff. And the next thing you know, it's like, where'd the money go? You know? And the next thing you know, after that, it's like, you know, IRS is like, Hey, you owe us money too. You know? And it's just like, so there are certain things, um, that I didn't have taught to me. Cause like maybe my parents didn't have it taught to them. And then also us not really going to school that much didn't help. So there are things like that, that can, that, that have lingered from an emotional, um, or a, um, the ability to be like committal. Like I don't have an issue with that. I mean, I've try. I'm not on any apps for dating. Like I love women. Um, I have great relationships with the women in my life, more so than men in my life. Um, so mostly have things have shed. But then there's this little pockets of like, I need to improve here. I need to address this sadness with like my mom, my dad, um, and what, but I think that's, it's fairly normal for us to, um, have these pockets in our memory that can be pretty heavy. Um, and it's just tough to address them when we're moving so fast in every other direction, but I'm really trying to address them and move on. Why do you think your relationships are better with women than men? I, I think um, I'm very, I can be, what's the word? Um, I'm like, I kind of joke, like a passionate thug, you know? Like I, I can be very masculine. I can, you know, have a great time with the guys. I can, you know, go to war with boxing with whomever. And, but then I'm very compassionate. I'm very gentle. I'm very, um, sensitive in a lot of ways as well um so i think that might be a reason why you know i guess coming back to uh like bringing this all full circle and like you know now that you're on the other side of a lot of this adversity and that you've you know worked with all these people that have been very meaningful to you in your life and that have been there for you through thick and thin um and that encompass a lot of your relationships now a lot of these people, people in general, I should just say, they're just busy, right? They got families, they got jobs, they got this, they got that. And they don't, a lot of people don't have time to go to the gym for, for two hours a day. They just need to be as effective and as efficient as possible. Um, obviously, it's going to be different for people based on their specific goals. But generally speaking, if you just had to pick a few things that you think move the needle most when it comes to people's health and fitness, like you have somebody who's, you know, owns a company, has a family, is traveling all over the place and doesn't have time to commit hours a week to the gym, but can do certain things every single day. What are you telling this person to do? Yeah, that specific person I am. And that's kind of like this whole, this 360 point guard position I play for them. It's like, okay, let me navigate their diet. Let me connect them with like tools, right? Um, whether it's a chef, whether it's a meal plan. Um, a lot of these guys have concierge doctors. Some of them don't, by the way. Like I've met a tremendous amount of wealthy people and they are completely like novice to like all of these things. They just kind of function off of caffeine, you know, and the highs of like life and money and all this stuff. And which is cool. But like, so a lot of times it's like, I don't feel nervous going up to some of these figures and being like, um, well, this is what you should be doing potentially. And here's how you can achieve that. And here's how I can be helpful. So I try to just put 
a solid team around them that when they have that 45 minutes before a flight or after or before a meeting, that it's all done for them, right? Um, whether that's like them coming in to see me when they're in town or whether that's like having them a program or connecting them with another coach when they land in the city that they're in, um, getting labs, blood drawn at their house or, or their, where they are just to keep things going and making sure like in the back of their mind, they're like, okay, I'm paying this retainer, but um, I know that there is a team just like I have for my, my work and my family, that there's a team navigating my health actively. Um, so in that mind, for that, that in their mind is priceless. Um, so that's how I do it for them. But I would say um, going even deeper, like I just really try to navigate like, you know, grip strength, um, range of motion, um, zone two, cardiovascular health, um, get them to move, to be springy, to jump. Um, I try to have them implement these things throughout their days and weeks, right? And there's certain metrics that we try to go off of to achieve um, weekly, monthly, you know, quarterly uh, and stuff like that. And then you go even further, like the other side of the spectrum that like your inner city, like mom, dad, like that I grew up in, like I wish I could have told my mom back then, like enough with the, you know, 16 packets of sugar in your Dunkin' Donuts coffee and just like have a black coffee, maybe a little cream, and then start walking more, start stretching more. And you'll be surprised how many people lose weight and live better lives just from cutting out all those substances and moving more, you know? You don't need to be a billionaire, yeah. So staying on this, um, staying on this, uh, this, this person that is, you know, maybe doesn't have a billion dollars or doesn't have millions of dollars in the bank and they can't afford to hire somebody like you or, or another, you know, professional, but they're just looking to optimize their health and just try to like pull on some of these same strings that you're helping with to orchestrate for some of your high net worth clients. Would you say like the biggest levers they can pull are to like reduce processed foods and processed sugar, like you just mentioned, and then to walk more, or would there be something else that you would add into that? I think generally starting, we take someone that's starting kind of fresh. It's like, just get them open to the idea of like, go to your local physician, you know, go make sure, go beneath the skin, see what's what, make sure you're okay. Explore that random rash or bump you might have that you've been ignoring because you're afraid what the doctor's going to say. And God willing, everything checks out good. Then from that point, it's just like, okay, yeah, let's take a whole a chart of things that you're currently consuming daily, weekly, and let's start to, you know, make some adjustments with that. And then from there, you know, social media, there's so much free content. Um, half of it's probably crap, but the other half, if you pay attention and, and take, take on some literature, like men's health or all these different things, and you start to navigate like, okay, what makes more sense? What looks right? What feels right? And then you, can go that route and then there's you know apps like as you know like i got work with ladder for a long time that are i think it's like 29 dollars a month and you're getting like a world-class coach now it's ladder's job to get to that household that would never know about ladder um but there are ways for these people to achieve success in their health and fitness i know that uh like a lot of people's 
a lot of people's goals tend to be around body composition, uh, you know, dropping body fat percentage, having a certain look. I know you've trained models throughout your career, people that, you know, are in ridiculous shape and that a lot of times people will see somebody like this online and they're like, I want to look like that person. Um, I want to go two different ways with this. First, like what is something that you think is misunderstood about these people and that the way that they may look and carry themselves on a, like a yearly basis in the context of, are they staying in shape, you know, like this year round or are they using filters or some of the images photoshopped? And then on the other side of that, what are some of the things that you help them do to keep their body fat percentage low while also like maintaining their sanity and making them, allowing them to at least live their life? So it's so funny you say that. I just had brunch with a friend and there was two Victoria's Secret models in there. And both of them, I think, um, might've had kids a few months ago, you know? And it just goes to show like people think like they're not human. Trust me, they're beautiful girls, but they're human from what I just saw. You know what I mean? They're in sweats, they're tired, you know, feeding the kids. Um, So like, again, it goes back to like, Aside from, you know, what it might look like, you know, you take a moment and turn the page. There's a lot of similarities. But to your question, they live the life. They live the life. You know, uh, I don't really want to dive deep into their metabolism is this because of one, I probably don't know much about all that. But the reality is, I think like there might be some subtle changes through our lifespan where your metabolism slows down. But like, for the most part, there is some genetic factor, but it's also like the consistency in moving their body, training daily, getting the right nutrients in. And also I remind them like you do that, you do this two and a half to three hours a week. They do this like nine to five every day. You know, this is their job. This is what they do. All their focus is around this. It's like the person that wants to come and box and be a great boxer with me. And like, why am I not getting better? And I'm like, schmuck, you come in 45 minutes a week, you know, five minutes warm up, five, 10 minute cool down, you know, a little this, a little that. We've only boxed 18 minutes. You expect to get better, you know, in one session a week, you know, so get them to realize like this is their person's craft and they dedicate this year round. And even when, as you know, you might see them posting a photo, eating a burger or pizza, but if Let's just say that they are very mindful. That could be within their macros, right? And they can do that. That's if they're being mindful. (laughs) So to the person that has an understanding of what that lifestyle looks like and understands that, again, like you're only seeing a, a small glimpse of the whole picture and that, you know, this is their their job. This is what they do for a living and that they are human as well. But they're like, you know what? Like I wanna take some of the tips and tricks that Eric is using to help them maintain leanness and sanity? Like what are a few things that you think to somebody who's listening to this who wants to get leaner or they are lean and they want to still maintain um, like their mental health? Like what kind of things should they focus on? Yeah. You know, I've been saying this like one thing for years and it starts with honestly, like be kinder to yourself, be a little bit more gentle with your process you get these people that come in super successful, very driven. And then it's almost like they start talking about their 
physical or mental health and it's like they hate themselves and i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. like if we do i need to give you like a tony robbins seminar like relax you know getting them to be a little bit more gentle with their process is a big key to to navigating this otherwise like they'll constantly be hurdles or things that seem obtainable and then they'll just crash and burn and reset um I think things like the 75 hard medium is a good baseline, but it's also can be intense for me. Again, it just shows it just like be kinder to yourself out of the gate. Um, start paying attention to how much protein you're taking in a day. Try to hit, you know, body weight grams. Right. Um, and if you are someone that is really struggling to get, you know, a mile in on the treadmill, then like start doing like just, a little bit every day, you know, and just compound that time daily, like little wins, little wins. And going back to how we started this conversation, just show up, you know, you don't have to show up to the gym for me and, you know, pay me, but you can just show up for yourself every day in some capacity, commit to a small window and start improving daily. That's well said. And um, I'm curious to know, um, I feel like you've got a good pulse on the industry and the technology and, and where things are, are headed. I know you're a partner at, at the collective and a coach, at the collective, which I've said since I went there, is like the best gym that I've been to. And I've been to Equinox. I've been to Lifetime. I've been to a lot of gyms, big and small throughout my career. And as my, on my journey as a health enthusi enthusiast myself, and there was nothing like the collective. And with that said, the industry has changed so much specifically in the last few years you know from what ha you know from just shifting more to more stuff online and, and virtual and apps and stuff like that where do you see things going over the next like 3 to 5 years in the fitness industry yeah i think um guy the the companies and the teams that do it like at a level that we're kind of flying at right now if you're not touching on community culture um trends like hospitality um then you're not going to really have so much longevity um because it has to be bigger than them just showing up and getting the workout and leaving for a lot of people by the way like especially my clients they're they were they're coming to get the work done and they're out right um, but then you have people that are very interested in the co-working space, very interested in the community stuff we do here with the members, off-site, in-site. Um, so I think adapting on those principles and pillars and then also making the effort to have the, um, the, the toys for them, the cold plunges, the saunas, like getting them. You want these facilities to be like state of the art. Granted, it's, it's very hard in like tier one cities like New York and um la to have that kind of real estate but i think at the level we're flying at like those are some of the things you need to have and then i think like a little bit um steps below that is um just the technology with um equipment is evolving right and i think as people start to get more in tune with their body and their mechanics they'll start to realize like I'm not getting the best bang for my buck with um, this company brand um, 
uh, pendulum or whatever it might be, or them even learning what the pendulum is, you, you know, um, and they're going to want to have more toys. But from our gym, from what I've seen, like you, like you said this yourself, you come in here, people know how to work out, you know, um, and they work out hard. Some of them, it might be a little, you know, touch and go on what they're doing, but like for the most part, everyone's getting after it. Um, but the short answer is you need to have those pillars, um, going forward. Otherwise, like you're not going to have much success, um, and scaling and, and just like membership and growth. What do you think are some essentials that somebody should have at home? Let's just say they don't have, you know, you brought up these tier one cities that might be, might be harder to have something like the, what the collective has done. But let's just say there's somebody who's listening now that's like, you know, I'm just super busy and I can commit to doing some stuff at home. Like what are a few pieces of equipment that you think are necessities? Yeah, for sure. And I almost feel like and maybe I should have prepared this is like there's there's like probably 10 social media accounts that like are always promoting brands that are very accessible. I should probably put a list together and like send that to you to like upload um, and like get that in front of people it makes things easier. Um, but I would say I would say exploring a little bit of cold water. Right. And uh, maybe it's just 15 seconds at the end or build up to 30 seconds to a minute. Um, and navigating that and also don't be psychotic about it. Like I missed a day. doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Just like try to build good habits with that. I think kettlebells are great because if you can have if you have dumbbells, it's perfectly fine. Like if you can try to explore kettlebells, it just teaches you more mechanically of how to distribute the weight. So I think kettlebells would be great. Um, obviously like a yoga mat so you're not banging up your knees and elbows um and then if you have like the space garage whatever like yeah explore some barbell training explore um you know how to hinge and how to squat and and again like anything else like if you really want something bad enough like you'll find the way to do it right if you're someone that is spending a fortune on alcohol every week and then cut a majority of that, all of a sudden you have time for once a week with a personal trainer, you know, um, to really learn and to really, you know, progress. So say things like that. Any trends you see right now going around that are popular on the internet that you think are just a waste of time and overrated? The one that stands out that's not overrated was the whole knees over toes sled thing. I think that was great. I think it was funny to kind of see people like just strapping themselves up going nuts for a few weeks there but it is very beneficial um and it is great i think it's like again it's a tool in the repertoire right um that you can utilize um other trends i don't know dude i try to stay away from like i i have so many fitness influencer friends on instagram and i i to be honest and i tell them like i mute i mute most of them you know just because like i don't want to like constantly see all this crap in my face but um um i don't particularly nothing stands out trend wise that i've seen that like people are doing that is like this is ridiculous which is a good thing i think for sure well eric this has been awesome thanks so much for coming on here being vulnerable sharing your story sharing all your wisdom your thoughts um if people want to learn more about you, if they want to check out the collective, uh, where's the best place to do that? 
So uh, my Instagram, you know, it's Eric Rakowski one, I believe. You see a photo of me and my little man. Um, and yeah, Collective, we have two locations in Austin, Texas, Collective with a K. And uh, we're opening in Nashville beginning of next year, which we're really excited about. Um, yeah, and that's it. And then I just want to say, like, you know, thank you for taking the time. And I understand that we, just, we touch up on this, me, me starting on this whole podcast game as well. It's not easy and it takes a lot of like, you know, active little gentle nudges to like, okay, let's try to get this. Let's try to move the ball forward. So thank you for your patience and having me on. And I'm excited to learn and listen more about what you're doing. And yeah, like, I, and I also, you're going to have guests on here that are like fucking one liners are great. And this guy has these juicy little nuggets. Um, I can be maybe a little bit of a storyteller, a little too much sometimes. So I wish I, for the listeners there, I had some juicy little things that you can ping pong off of. But um, again, I, hopefully whatever I've shared is helpful to someone. So thank you. Thanks for the kind words, man. And this was great. I think people are going to enjoy this one. And um, I'll be sure to include the links to uh, the collective and your IG in the show notes. Um, and for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. We covered like so much as far as Eric's journey, um, his career in the fitness space, um, what he's learned from his clients, how they've helped him out. We talked a lot about other health and fitness tips and what you can do from that perspective as well. So be, so be sure to share your biggest takeaway, tag Eric and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.